let's now turn to God's Word. How does Christ, as we get introduced here, let's read this together. How does Christ tell us we should listen to God's Word? read this text, I, I, uh, I, you know, I, I always wonder, like, what, how, all right, so as a, as a, as a speaker, and as a, somebody who wants to teach on these things, and, and as, I don't merely want to teach, I want to persuade. I hope you've gotten a picture of that. My intention when I speak is not merely to inform or to comfort, although it certainly has those things. I like to inform. It's kind of a joy to bring us out of things we don't know to things we do. That's not merely my purpose to inform. Uh, it's not merely my purpose to challenge or to probably inspire, but it actually is to persuade. This is a, a persuasive event. And uh, uh, it's not, uh, a lot of us, are, we're not really used to that uh, in, in our culture. If somebody gets up, and, uh, unless he's a politician, and, or maybe selling something. I'm doing neither, I'm neither a salesman or a politician. But uh, we're going to read this text together. So I, when I come to a text like this where, where Jesus is walking on water, where Jesus is walking, the claim is going to be made that this person, Jesus, walked, strode, walked not, not because of some enormous surface tension that was present, not because of, a, some, not because of some sandbank that, that, that perhaps that was, that was uh, because of the, uh, some phenomena in this, in this lake uh, he was able to look like he was walking. No, no, not because it. No, he walked on water. That's going to be the claim. Now, so my, 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 my initial frustration, for, I don't know, frustration is not a good word. My, uh, my concern is, well, how far do I go? How far do I walk towards a skeptic like Timothy? <laughs> like, how far do I walk towards a cynic or a, a person who uh, finds this it's hard to digest as anything but mythology. How far do I go to try to prove that kind of, this kind of idea? Uh, can I prove it? I really can't prove it, can I? So that's the anxiety I have. That's the frustration. I, kinda, I approach a text like this, and there's a certain kind of wrestling that's going on in my own mind. For I, too, like you, was schooled in skepticism and scientific materialism in all the, the apparatus by which I am critical of claims that defy the laws of nature. And I'm just like you. I have the same, same question, same furrowed brow when I read it, same raised eyebrow as I think about it. All right, let's, uh, let's dive in. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it, uh, and uh, I, I'm going to do say the same thing I did last week. Uh, as I'm reading, I'm going to stop and point out uh, 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 textual notes. And the reason I'm doing that is you, I think it will become clear because I'm going to draw off those notes. Uh, so I'm going to read the text and, uh, and kind of interrupt myself. Uh, by way of structure... We have moved into the fantastical. That's what I'm calling this, the fantastical. And the fantastical parts of Mark uh, 
begin with the feeding of the 5,000. Now, that feeding of 5,000 followed by, followed by the walking on water. I see I did water, didn't I? I just said water. I knew I couldn't keep it up. Uh, walking on H2O. These now, these events, are all belong as signals to an older test, what's called the Older Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and so on. They are actually meant, we'll see in the language here, they're actually meant to be, have that, have that, have that um, application. They don't really belong, for example, to the Greek imagination. Does that make sense? That's not, it's not a part of the Greek imagination anymore. We already had that. Raising the dead, uh, uh, command over the demonic, and um, what's the third one? And the storm, control of the storm. Those are all very Greeks. Yeah, this is not Greek now. This is very well tailored, very well put together to address some of the Jewish expectations. We'll see that in the language. Let's, let's read then. He's just read the, he's just fed the 5,000. We learn in John that they were, they were going to make him king because of it which explains some of the urgency and what Christ does here. He forces them into the boat. There's no other way to, way to communicate how forceful the language is. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Uh, now note this. All four Gospels have this story, not just... It's usually the Gospels uh, don't... One of the Gospels, John in particular, doesn't share... All, all four of them have this story. Well, he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Now, mountains, mountains are very, have echoes always of Sinai. When Christ is on a mountain, and he is uh, speaking from a mountain, when, whenever the mountains mentioned, the topography is not merely uh, for your curiosity. <laughs> it's meant to be. There's something going on here. He's something he's doing. There's a posture he's assuming. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the, wound, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he comes to them. Now, notice that present tense. That is called the historical present. It's used twice in this text. It serves several functions. It, it positions the text with a certain kind of immediacy, right? Mm -hmm. He comes. All of a sudden, it's not just a story. It's being, he's being advertised or somehow described urgently and immediately. The author is making a mistake, is insisting this is a space-time event. He's insisting on its immediacy in the historical present. Now, um, fourth watch of the night means it's between 3 and 6 in the morning, which means they have been rowing and laboring all night long. It's not a big lake. Across eight hours, they had gone about two or three miles, about three, three and a half miles, that's what John tells us. 
Can you imagine that? Three miles in eight hours. There's a weird perspective here. It might have been a moonlit night. It may be some supernatural vision, but he's able to see them. It's not a big lake. You can see across it. He's able to see them and see what little progress they have made, and he comes to them. Walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Was he trying to beat them? Uh, it's a confusing language. Uh, it's, confusing for, it's confusing to you. It's not confusing to the original hearer. It, because the ancient, the ancient old, the old Testament was written, uh, that was uh, read by most of the people he's, who's, who are reading this, is not in Hebrew. It's actually in Greek, in a book called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so uh, Peter was... Uh, had, had to have something that uh, many Greek readers, Greek speakers who were, who were Jewish could, could access. They would have read it. Pass by. Ooh, that is a very pregnant concept. It's not, it doesn't have the, it's not, it's not what you think it is. It's not uh, a race. Does anybody remember where God is said to pass by? And Eden? Oh, yeah, that's very good. I wonder if that, I wonder if that it's... Uh, I didn't even think of that. That might actually be in the... I wish I knew what that was. In particular, though, uh, it's on Sinai when, when, uh, before Moses. And he says, I will pass by you. Exactly. It's a lift. And anybody who knew their... And by the way, these were very literate people when it came to their scriptures. They knew their scriptures. They would recognize... Reading this, Mark is making a clue here. Mark is putting a clue. There's another place where it happens. When he, remember when Elijah is going to experience God and he passes by in the, uh, in the, in the still small voice? He passes by on the mountain. So it's pregnant and it has all that. That's what it means. He would pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost. The word is, you'd recognize it in the original language, phantasm. Phantasm. Apparition. And cried out. Okay, the cried out really means yelled up. They screamed. They really, really lost it. This is, and that's, by the way, what happens after this. This language is extraordinarily strong. Uh, and uh, for they saw him, all saw him, and they were what? They were terrified, they're in terror, and he spoke to them, and he says, now, again, the historical present comes in. You see that? It goes from past tense to present tense. He comes. What are the two things that Mark wants you to notice? That he comes and he speaks. What does he say? Be bold. Be bold. It is I. Do not be afraid, fear not. Now, for the final clue here. It is I. In Greek, doesn't have to be said this way. He uses this name. Does anybody recognize this name? Yes. Exactly. The name of God. 
In Greek, you can say I am with a simple contraction, like I'm. And it has to be that it actually almost sounds exactly right. I, me, I'm. It's, it's, it's almost exactly like it is in English. And, it, uh, and, and for, for, for Mark to describe Christ saying, it is I, with the I am construction, is very dramatic. It's, a, it's an expanded. You don't say I, I am, which is what essentially is being said. Don't be afraid. He got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Now then again, this language, again, I, they were outside, of, the language is literally, they were outside of their minds. This is not astounded as in, that's great. This is more like, they just went from terror to, now how afraid should we be? Or what is really... Confused terror, almost. Just listen, Mark. Mark's Mark's um, statement here. Mark's explanation, which is unusual in the book of Mark. They were utterly astounded. Why? For they did not understand about the loaves. They didn't understand about the feeding of the 5,000, for their hearts were hardened. This idea of a heart of stone in Ezekiel, stiff neckness in Deuteronomy, the idea of a heart that is somehow frozen, and it's an act of volition on a spiritual condition that you cannot see. All right, well, because of that, I'm going to now pray about this event. We're going we're to investigate this together. Uh, dear Father, I pray for uh, hard hearts, <laughs> for the, the stony heart to be replaced with a heart of flesh. That, Father, that is the one thing I can't do for a single person, even myself, even my sons, my family, what I love. I cannot. I cannot. Only you can soften hearts and make them live. Father, give us the reward of, your, of understanding your, the text, understanding what it means and what it says. And I pray for this in Christ. Amen. I want to begin then with, they were hardened. They were hardened. Seems interesting to me that Mark uses the previous event, which was about eating, to talk about how they didn't understand this event, which was about difficulty on the water, seeing Christ walk on water. And somehow they're tied in his head. And this idea of hardening. The way I begin with it, and begin, I think it's so important to begin, begins with what I just said before I began speaking, before I began into the text. And that is, I can't help you. I can't help you if you want me to prove that Jesus walked on water. I can't help you. I can't help you at all. Because even the men who saw it, in their superstitious mindsets, couldn't digest it either. What I'm saying is, if you had seen it, you wouldn't believe it anyway. That's how profound the problem is. And the problem with belief, the problem with faith, the problem with proof is that, and what's, what's happening here in, in, in Mark's narrative, and we see again and again across the New Testament scriptures, is this idea that you in, and they have, in a way, we have positioned ourselves as a decision of the will 
to not accept the evidences because it doesn't work for it doesn't work for our world. It just doesn't work. We don't believe because we choose not to. We have chosen to think about the, and this that that idea that this is not has nothing to do with proofs for these men. As witnesses of great things, they were they were unable. To, it doesn't matter. And some of, some of you some of you will say to me, some of you will declare, you know, if I saw it happen in front of me, I'd believe it. And I say, no, you wouldn't. You could just as easily think that he was an ancient David Copperfield with tremendous, you know, with a tremendously good a way of presenting illusion and misdirection in order to, you, you will come up, he was a ghost, he was a, there was a, there was a sandbar, there, he was swimming, that's what they called swimming back then, was walking on water, he was something, anything, anything to resist. Why, why, I remember, um, I remember uh, sharing the gospel with a bunch of engineers, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Electrical, mechanical. Uh, and uh, we're sitting there, and I said, you know what? I can remove your obstacles. I think given time and some good discussion, I could potentially remove uh, and, 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 and challenge, uh, one by one, the objections you have to, the, to, to my belief system. But I said, it won't matter. It won't matter. Because you want to live the way you want to live, and if this is true, then your life has to change. And one of the guys in the back looked at me, cocked his head. He goes, yeah, what if I just don't care? Jonathan Kudnick, remember Jonathan? He became a Christian about three months later, and I never let him live it down. <laughs> As I said to him, I can't make you care. But I can do this. I can do this. I can pray for God to put you in a situation, to put you in a desperation, or to put you somewhere where at least you can begin to be astounded. Maybe astounding could lead to faith, right? Maybe, and that does for these men. It does for this church, this little, this little microcosm of the church here. This astounding event does lead to worship, faith, knowledge of God. And we'll see it happens. It can lead there. And I'm going to pray that it does for you and for me, too. But what, what, what should they have seen? You know, and that, that's where I come back to the real, the, the premise that, that Mark begins in the very first verse of his gospel, to claim that this is the gospel of the Son of God. And here we are advancing by these proofs, walking on water, passing by, and the I am, walking on water, passing by, and the I am, are three matters in which we, they were supposed to hear and they were supposed to recognize, and you're supposed to recognize, that this is not merely arbitrary, arbitrary surfing by the divine, right? This is not a surfing event where, for, where, the, where God does something capriciously or odd or strange. No, this is now supposed to, it's supposed to be pictures uh, that, that Jesus is, is something, he is the son of God, promised in the love of God to come to men and women with the love and saving rescue of God. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to touch their imaginations like Psalm 77 or Job says. What, and that's where the, how many notes in Job, and he tramps, he treads the waters. And in Psalm 77, he walks on the water. He, he walks on it. 
talking about and describing the original event by which the people of God were rescued in, in uh, Exodus. What, the parting of what? Red Sea. What sort of God is this Old Testament God? He is the God who moves water. <laughs> He's the God who creates, for whom water is no barrier. However mysterious, most people couldn't swim back then, however mysterious or deadly or impassable it may seem. This is before big bridge building was easy. This is before, I mean, this, and he, he is saying, I am the, I am the one who creates, this is, his, this is his deal. This is what he does again and again. Um, Elijah doesn't. Uh, Moses doesn't. Um, uh, it happens again with Joshua. It, it's this constant event. So what were they supposed to see? What were they supposed to know? What were they supposed to digest? This is not merely God surfing. This is what? It's God is saying, it's saying that this is the God of the Old Testament, the God who, all right, this is, this is, this is, this is an in essence saying, metaphysically. Um, God holds, and by his will, if he is God, the quantum structure of gravity whether this falls or drips, how it's, how it's formed, how it tastes. The premise is that reality is held together by the exercise of his will moment by moment forever. Particles and quantum spin and move because his will, his will infuses them. And so... The walking on water idea is meant to be what? Easy peasy, baby. What? Well, there is no problem. There is no problem for this worldview. Does that make sense? There, for this particular worldview of the great one, of the great God, that, that, the, this worldview of, of him uh, having that control over matter, this is nothing. <laughs> this, is, this is nothing at all. Other than a, con a consistent display of the way he saves his people and the sorts of things he does. Now, the scientist says, um, I, have, I can't observe that, that kind of breaking of, of, of uh, natural, natural uh, process. Amen. So why talk about it? You have no speculation to make on it as a scientist because you can't observe it, admittedly. Because we're not talking about what you can observe. We're not talking about the what and the, the what of how water works. We're talking about the why, why water works, why water is the way it is, why gravity is the way it is, why quantum is the way it is. We are we know the God of why, and what He does. So it's easy peasy, it just makes sense. It's very possible. The scientist, in a sense, has nothing to say about this event, positively or negatively because of the sort of God it reveals. Second, passes by. Uh, this pass by language. This is all the language of God in his picture as he comes. Uh, this idea of, uh, the, the, the idea that, that's so uh, alive, po poetically, uh, uh, materially, uh, spiritually, in the Christian story, is a God who's advancing towards us, passing by us. And it's just a tenderness. This is where Christ says, the kingdom of God is near you, and he is standing there. There's this idea of, this is a God for whom proximity is, is the great value. <laughs> it's, the, it's the great value in his love. 
It's not a nothing distance. God's love language is quantity of time. <laughs> it, is, it is time together. And it is, he moves towards us. And this, this picture, it's so visceral. The passing by, he reveals himself. And uh, he, he, is, he is passing by now. Um, did, did you notice what Job said? He passes by, I don't see him. Like Job is aware, and that, boy, that poetry is so rich because boy, he's suffering at that point, and so are these, these men in the boat. And, and, and he said, he's passes by, I can't see him. And I know you're, you know, I'd like to be able to see him. I, I want to know and see more. Well, that possibility, I think, is rich in this moment through faith and through me talking about it. Because your imagination imagines this story. Your imagination is the daughter it's the handmaid, let's put it that way, of faith. She serves faith so well. Because that picture is one of the ways God starts to draw near to us. We can, the possibility, let's put it this way, there's a possibility you could know him. A possibility of knowing God is, is now real. And the third thing, what God is in particular. I am not, I am not arguing for theism. Please understand me, I'm not arguing for theism. The scriptures are not arguing for theism. They are arguing for the I am. Yahweh as known through Yeshua, Joshua, his son, Jesus. It's a very, very particular claim about a particular God who, whose name has been given. Whew! I mean, we're, we're swimming. He's walking, but we're swimming. We're swimming in depths, right? The great I am passes by, parts the water like he always does, walks on the water. It's no barrier. <sighs> what is the point of all that then? As we come to this, this transcendent language here, this is the language of transcendence, and here is the event of imminence close by as he walks on H2O. What is, what's the whole point? The Son of God comes to us with love. Let's begin first. How we apply this. Why are they struggling? Because Jesus put them on the, on the, on the, on the water and told them to go. I cannot... I don't care if you're, if you're not a theist or not. That's what this story is meant. Doesn't, the writer's not trying to make a point. In the, there are moments that you and I have had together, we have had together, where, where we are. It is nothing but struggle, right? You and I have been through that, Brittany. You and I, we, we've been through this together as friends. Some of us are going through it. There's a point and there's a direction. There's a place. There's a place at Langley Porter where you're sitting there and you're like, the headwind. On and on, and Christ is saying, in the hardships of your life and your failures and the places of struggle, I am God. I put you there. Trust me. Part of that story. So we are, to, we are to take, and some of us are going through hardships in our marriage, hardships in our hearts, hardships at work, heart, the toil and the labor. A lot of you are entering a time of life right now, too, in your 30s, where it's nothing but work. <laughs> 
It's nothing but work and labor and labor for years, it seems like. We're, as the church, as, we're like a little church. By the way, it's wonderful. Uh, do you know what they call the sides of the little church? They call them naves in a church architecture. Do you know why? The building is supposed to be like a boat. Because that image is so precious to the church. We're in the boat. We're, all in the, we're in a boat together. Does anybody feel like we're hitting some headwind? I do. <laughs> I do sometimes. We are to see our, 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 our suffering as a situation that belongs to him. But God puts us in a place to discover his grace. Because what is happening? He is, this is a wonderful, as they're in the boat, what is happening? Why are they okay? Because he's on the mountain praying. <laughs> There's a picture of, a, of an ascendant ministry where the Son of God continues to intercede for Ted <laughs> and continues to plead for Luke. It continues because he's this God. To, to, he, he sees. He is praying and he sees. Second of all, does he see? What does he do? Whatever the obstacles are, no obstacles, right? That's the picture of the water. Are there any obstacles between God coming into your life, Luke? No, there aren't. Is there any obstacle, any trial, any place that he will not walk? Is there any place you have been where God will not walk there to you and for you? That's it's wonderful. I mean, people have met God in whorehouses. You know why? Because there's no place he won't walk. There's no obstacle he can't cross to bring his love. And there's a picture here that we're supposed to rejoice in, that this, this transcendent God has come past, has passed by, coming through any, any, any kind of obstacle into our weariness and frustration, into our troubles. And so he sees, he knows, and he comes to us, and God chases us down all the, all the roads of our lives. And what does he say? What is the word? And I hope today it'll move us from just being astounded, if we're astounded, if you're astounded, praise God, because some of us just need to be astounded by something for crying out loud. When if you're astounded, it'll, if you already are astounded, it'll move you towards faith and joy and faith and receiving Christ. What is it? Because what does he say? I am. Buck up. They're all in the, all in the pool, by the way. They're for a community together in the boat, right? They're, they're for, they belong to a community. They belong to you personally. And the words, the words that come out right at that point where they're transcendent meets, and he says in this historical present, and, and Mark, as he's writing, he's trying to force it onto you because the fact that he comes is big, but the fact that he says what? Buck up. Be bold. I'm here. I am is here. Don't be afraid. Um, I think that um, a story like this as a possession of the, of the church and the possession of believers is, uh, is it has two parts of an invitation for us to look at tonight, today is to end with uh, two parts of an invitation um, first of all um, heaven and God's love and his presence opens at the feather touch of faith. How much faith do you need, Stacy? How much faith do you need to receive Jesus in this moment as he's presented here? How much faith do you need? 
just, you can just scream. <laughs> You'd be like, ah! It's a feather touch of faith. Invites God to wherever you are as he chases you. I love, this is one of the things I love about God, that he is close to the feather touch. This is just a faith that's born out of confusion, fear, and frustration, right? Maybe that's all you got. <laughs> all I've got is a faith driven out of fear, frustration, and worry. He gets in the boat, and the wind's calm. But what's the second idea here? What's the second idea? The second way he's present. I know. Let's, let's hope and pray. Those of you who have known God a long time, let us pray and hope for a knowledge of his presence. Because that's what we really need. We think we want solutions. We think we'd like just to get across the lake. We think we'd like just to, have to end a struggle. Sometimes there will be ends to some struggles. But what's the one thing the disciples need? And the one reason the story is told this way, the one thing that they learned to cherish above all things, just his presence. I want to encourage you as my brothers and sisters to hunger for his presence. It'll be enough to bring boldness and chase away fear. The presence of his love, the presence of the story of the gospel that's here in the table. Don't you know that's why we celebrate this every freaking week? We are practicing, enacting, tasting, and showing what we really need the presence of his love, the presence of his forgiving grace, the presence of his pursuit, the presence of our God, the I am. That will be enough. Let's pray. You know, Father, I, I, uh, some of us come to this, came to this text today. Well, some of us have heard it before. Some of us, it's, it's old or tired. Some of us, it's new and wonderful. Some of it's, it's just hard to believe. Sounds like mythology. Wherever we are, Father, we ask for your presence. Would you hear us in the feather touch of faith? Would you respond as our hearts reach out to you? Father, as we come to the table of communion, we, would, we enact this, this need for your presence. And we, we pray, for that, pray for that sense of glory and that sense of presence felt. And I pray this in Christ. Amen. The purpose of Mark's story, the purpose of Mark's story, I hope you could see it now, the purpose of his language and his story was to preach a Christ both transcendent and imminent. So uh, let's continue along that. He's also told, the story continues. Is this grape juice in the center here? Center triangles, grape juice. Okay. I see the setup. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it. And he said, ooh. <laughs> this is my body, which is for you take and eat. This is uh, gluten-free, by the way. In the same way, he also took a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood, uh, take and drink. This is a cup of the covenant. 
the events in the boat are not sufficient. The events in the boat are not sufficient to communicate all that God would do and all that he would be for us. Not really sufficient. They're just kind of a clue forward. But this is the God whose, who, whose body and blood and even indeed his resurrection from death are all being anticipated by his walking on water and conquering and, and, and walking on the sea like that towards his disciples. It anticipates this, where his death precedes his resurrection. And so this enacts, this touches Christ on the cross. It enacts it, remembers it, accesses it, trusts in it. This is an act of faith. So I invite you, with the feather touch of faith, this is your table, and this is your table, wherever you have been and wherever you are, and the God, God's love will chase you into the places where you've run from him and doubted him, yes? And then this table's made available to all those who by faith have trusted in Christ for salvation. Now, there are two people, uh, there, are two, there are two groups of people that, uh, that I, I need to address, though. Uh, the first group I just addressed, there are two others. And the first group was uh, 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 Christians who need the encouragement of this story. The second group is, uh, is uh, those who are skeptical, those, who's, those who are armed and, and, somewhat, and somewhat suspicious, or perhaps just observing. We'd ask you, I ask you to observe. I ask you to watch. And I'm hoping that by your watching, you're invited. Uh, to, uh, I've seen this happen where people respect our, our belief system. They don't participate. They watch. And I want you just to watch because I want to communicate two things. Uh, you need this table. <laughs> I think you need it uh, if you're a skeptic, uh, if you're outside of the story. And second of all, I'm hoping that you'll be uh, more than a little bit uh, envious. Well, I want that. I want to know God that way. And you and I can talk about that later. So that's a friendly communication. I want to make an unfriendly communication next. And uh, this became an important part of my life living in the South. Um, if you think that you're a good person, and you, you hear you came to church because it affirms you're a good person and a good Christian and have been a good person, you might say to God, if he were to ask you, why should I let you into my presence? Well, I haven't done anything that bad, and I've done a lot of good things. If you describe yourself as a good person, you're, you're not worthy of the table. Only sinners in that boat, sinners in this boat, are worthy of the table. I would say that if Ted were to come here and tell me he's a good man, and he belongs at this table, that he, would not, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be worthy to vacuum up the crumbs that fell on the floor. Only sinners come to my master's table, my father's table. Because my father only walked on water to sinners. <laughs> right? My savior. That's who he walked on water for. That's who he conquered death for. 